Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. We we just thank them for a brand new day that we get to know him more and love him and serve him. And praise be to God. He's so good. And we just get to just breathe in all his goodness every day because every breath, you got to think about this. Every breath is a gift from God because he makes all our breath. He makes every single particle of air every single day, all day long, because it's his plants, not ours, that grow this wonderful air that produces awesome air that we breathe every day. Praise be to God for all his goodness. Anyway, uh, welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody in my church here in McKinney, Texas, and welcome to all of you coming to Gospel Saving Church online. Follow me on SoundCloud. God bless you and welcome. Uh, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, let's ask the Lord to bless our hearts and bless our service so we can uh, understand what he has to tell us today. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for all your love. Thank you so much, Lord, for all your many good things, Lord, all your gracious good things, Lord, all your your greatness, and Lord, just, just knowing you, Lord. I just love knowing you, Lord, knowing the creator of the universe, Lord. I just love it, Lord. I can't wait to, to see your face and to hear all your intimate things you want to tell me every day, and, and then when I get to see you, Lord, I... I just can't wait, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, for this new service that you've given us, this new message that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for this new day and, and your new love. The, the word, your word says that your mercies are new every day, Lord. And God, God in heaven, every, people on earth, there's a lot of people on earth that need your mercy, Lord. Even us, when we, when we blow it, as so often as we do, Lord. Anyway, Lord, we ask you to bless this message, Lord, and bless my mouth and, and help me to speak clearly, Lord, and help people to understand what I'm saying, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to me and to all those listening, Lord, in, in, my, in our church here in McKinney, Texas, Lord, and all those online, Lord. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that we'd be not just hearers of your word, but hearers and doers, Lord, as we know that love is an action, Lord. And if we love you, we must act on our love for you, not just say we love you. So, Lord, I pray you bless the message. Bless our hearts and, and bless our minds and help us to understand by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you guys want to turn, we're going to get back on track today, back on normal. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 22 through 26. Again, that's 2 Timothy 2, chapter 22 through 26. If you guys want to be turning there, we're going to go over uh, some quick stuff before we get to our service. Um, Last week, as you know, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead. And here at Gospel Saving Church, we talked about not only the resurrection from the dead that he had, but we also talked about his death and you know the, the sadness of that and why he had to die. And I, I will say this uh, on just last week, I, we always need to be thinking about his sacrifice and victory because it gives us motivation to carry on through hard times and through all the storms that we'll go through. Because certainly, life is full of hard times, and life is full of sorrows, and life is full of storms. And I'm sure you guys are out there going, yes, sir, yes, that's right, Pastor Ed, you're absolutely right. But another thing it does when we think about his sacrifice and his resurrection for us, it also reminds us on what type of life that he wants us to strive to live. Of course, he wants us to strive to live a life back to him as he strove to show us and live a life of love for us. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, because guess what? That's exactly the life that Jesus showed 
toward us. And when you love someone, you show them love back just like they show you love. And that's kind of how it works. That's kind of how love works. Now, getting back to business as normal, I want to go through some thoughts from our last week's regular message, which was two weeks ago before we start a new section. It'll help us get our minds right and get our mindset from where I was because it's real easy to get off course, you know. Two weeks ago, my last regular message was uh, titled, Be Diligent Be Diligent to Present Yourselves Approved to God. This message was centered around that title found in verse 15 of chapter 2, and Paul was telling us there how to accomplish those things. Stay away from this kind of argument. Don't get into that kind of debate. You know, stay loving toward one another. Well, when you think about the word diligent, for after all, that's what the message was about. Be diligent, we talked about that, to present yourselves approved to God. When you think of the word diligent, what do you think of? Just think about that word diligent. What do you think of when you think of the word diligent? Strong's Concordance defines diligent as to make haste or to hasten, which is where the real Greek word came from for diligent, to exhort or exert oneself, endeavoring or to give diligence. Think about those definitions. And in our modern definition, because the word diligent means the word diligent, it still means that today, the dictionary.com of our modern dictionary defines diligent as constant in effort to accomplish something. Think about that. Constant in effort. So it's something we're, we're working at. Like, that's top priority. Also, attentive and persistent in doing anything. Right? Persistent. Keep going. Keep going. Also, done or pursued with persevering attention. Painstaking or painstakingly. I'm, you know, when you think of those words, the definitions, they're all, they scream out things to me like, diligent, make number one priority. Or your ultimate first aim. Or where you're headed first, your first goal. The first goal I'm going to have is to, right? And then set above everything else in the whole world. Or how about Put aside everything else and do that first. Priority, diligence. Those, that diligent means all those things. And that's how Paul meant us to take that word. Except he said, be diligent to present yourself. So putting it all together, he says there, really, make presenting yourselves approved to God your number one priority above all else in your life exerting yourself towards doing this in a painstaking way, really striving to to be the best at presenting yourselves approved to God, being diligent to do that. What are some other ways that God told Christians to do this outside of what Paul talked about in 2 Timothy? Well, uh, think about it like this, all these things that I'm going to say. Making your aim totally in life, Day by day, all day long to do what? Hebrews 11.6. Walk fully in faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. So walking fully in faith. Being diligent every day to rest your hope fully. And having faith fully 
in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and God's love for you and God's promises. Be diligent to walk in faith. Enoch walked with God in faith and then he was no more. Second, living a life of love towards God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Matthew chapter 22. Remember on that one and love the, your neighbor as yourself. Hang all the law and all the prophets. Loving all, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, which would include giving, your, giving him your intimate time, giving him the most special part of your day, giving him the most intimate time that you have with him, not having any more intimate time with anybody else more than him, and then doing it first part in your day, and then even doing it, being diligent to do it all day long, setting, setting aside times and just getting close, being intimate with God. And striving to follow the things that he's told you to do and not to do in his word. Of course, when you love someone, you don't do things that they don't like. When you love them, you strive to do the things which they love, right? Um, Also, keeping yourself from the practice of all sin. Remember, departing from iniquity, as Paul talked about last week. Departing from iniquity. Because we know that God hates sin. And a holy and just God hates sin. Therefore, when we sin, we know that God hates when we sin. So stopping, keeping yourself back from sin. Uh, also, giving God the two things he wants from you. This is, this is just like, a, like the, the, if you gave God these two things, like he'd be so happy. God's shown me this. Intimate fellowship relationship. That's why we were created. When God created Adam and Eve, what did he do? The first thing it says that he did is gave him the law. Nope. <clears throat> Sorry, didn't give them the law. When God created Adam and Eve, it says that he walked with them in the Garden of Eden. Just walking with God throughout your day, talking to him, having a relationship with him, just being, you know, just being friends, Do, you know, watching your ways. This is why we were created. And number two, making sure your life glorifies him. The things that you do, the words that come out of your mouth, the actions of your body, when you're talking to others, bringing Him glory, talking about Him, talking to others about the good things of God, how He's blessed your life, the wonderful things that He's done in your life, the ways He's transformed you, the ways He's saved you, bringing Him the glory. It's the second thing that really God wants from us, giving Him glory. And in essence, think about this, making it your aim, being diligent or making it your aim totally in life, day by day and all day long, above all else, to put God and Christ first, loving them, serving them, having a relationship with them and focusing on bringing them glory. This is what be diligent to present yourselves approved to God means in every aspect of your, of your life and in every area of your mind and your thoughts and your actions, being diligent and making first priority all these things. Not simple stuff to learn, but it's hard to practice. That's why Paul said, be diligent to do those things. If he didn't say be diligent and he said, I'll just do it whenever you have time, then we know that's not that important. But when you hear be diligent to do it, you know that, hey, that's a mindset. I got to set my mind on that. So there you go. Praise be to God. Let's move on to our brand new service. Our brand new message is titled, Love is Not Optional.
So we're going to read 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 through 26. If you guys want to join me, you can open your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Title again, Love is Not Optional. I'm going to read it. Paul writes to Timothy again and he says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue, kind of the same word as diligent here, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with the, uh, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So did you see right off the bat there, that a Christian's walk with God is not just supposed to be all about God's grace. No, whoa, whoa, hey, Pastor Ed, wait a minute now, hold on. Well, yes, I'm talking to you. If you believe today that your walk with God and Christ is supposed to be all about God's grace. This is a common idea amongst a lot of Christians of our day. And it all depends on where you stand doctrinally and all this stuff and what you've been taught. But I'm here to tell you right off the bat there, Paul shows us that our walk with God, our walk with Christ is not supposed to be all about his grace. Grace absolutely has a position and has a point within our lives, but our walks with God are not supposed to be all about His grace and His love and just my simple faith. Paul was pretty clear here that the saved have a responsibility by God to strive to live a certain holy way unto God. Where do we see that? Verse 22, he says, flee also youthful lust. What does that mean? Well, think about when you were younger. Think about the days, even if you're younger now, that you were younger still, maybe the days when you weren't even a Christian. What are youthful lusts? Well, when I was a young man, I lusted after every pretty girl. I lusted after every single thing that I could have. I lusted after every all that money in the whole world that I could have. And we know now that the Bible says that those aren't a good thing. That if you're a Christian and if you live for God, you the only thing you should be yearning for is a deeper relationship with God as a whole. Doesn't mean we can't, oh, you know, I'd like to have this or that or whatever. But Paul says, hey, by prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. We shouldn't be lusting for anything. And those youthful lusts we know are, are not, they're not holy lusts. They're lusts of the flesh. And Paul says here right off the bat, flee youthful lusts. You shouldn't be running after all the things of the world. John says, ye who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And of course, if you're lusting for something, you're loving it. So yet, we're supposed to flee youthful lusts. Now, it's ridiculous to think that once a person turns to Christ and they get saved, that they can live in any sinful way that they want to. Really, this is a satanic teaching, and it goes against exactly what Paul just right there. He can't, couldn't have been more simple. Flee youthful lust. Uh, it's pretty clear that God expects those that love him 
to make an effort to live a holy lifestyle, abstaining from sinfulness, being diligent, as we talked about just now, to present themselves approved to God. Put flee useful lust with verse 19 of our of our section of scripture that we studied two weeks ago, where Paul writes, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Hey, so if you say you love Jesus, hey, stay away from sin, brother, sister in the Lord. Hey, God expects you flee youthful lusts. Hey, don't just live in any sin that you that you want to desire to live in. Hey, you can't just have sex with every pretty girl. You got to get married, God says, and then and then sex is holy in, in matrimony. But it's not just it's not just pure outside of that. And hey, we learned a couple weeks ago, God even cares about what we say out of our mouth. Let, let no impure impure thing or impure thing come out of your mouth. Hey, even speak in a holy way before God. Again, it's pretty clear that God expects a saved person to make every effort to live a life of holiness, abstaining from sinfulness, and being diligent to present themselves approved to God. I just had to say that again because it was a good line. Um, First Peter, Peter says the same thing. Verses 15 and 16, same context. Peter says, but as he who called you is holy, I, I said that earlier, God is holy, right? He hates sin. As he who called you is holy... Peter says, you also be holy in all your conduct, lifestyle, lifestyle and ways. Uh, well, he, I added lifestyle and ways because that's what conduct means. But you also be holy in all your conduct. That's a command, ladies and gentlemen, Christians of all ages. That's a command. You also be holy in all your conduct. Peter's given us a command. This is how God wants us to live as Christians. Be holy. Live your life Pattern after how God wants you to live, after God's ways, after how Jesus Christ walked. He goes on to say, verse 16, he, gets, he says, because it is written, and he goes back to the Old Testament, God says, be holy for I am holy. Again, Christians, God expects a holy life from you and it's not all about his grace. If anyone tells you this, they're going against what Paul just wrote right here as we just read Flee youthful lust. Hey, anybody that calls in the name of the Lord Jesus, hey, get away from sin. As I said earlier, guys, God's grace absolutely does play a part in every Christian's walk with God, but God's grace and God's mercy and all those things are not everything that God wants from you as a Christian. He expects you to live according to how He wants you to live. All right, and not only does it matter how we are striving to live a life of holiness and sinlessness unto God, but God also wants us to act in certain ways toward other Christians. Did you know that? I mean, absolutely, it's it's a given if you've ever read the Gospels, but Paul kind of reiterates it here. Let's read the rest of verse 22 and see what else he says. He says, flee awful, useful loss, but, so he gives us an alternative. Hey, don't be pursuing all those lustful, evil, sinful things, but pursue, again, like I said earlier, like diligent. Pursue means I'm I'm supposed to chase after these things now. This is what we are supposed to chase after. Pursue righteousness. Oh, look at there. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So think about this. We're, We're supposed to get away from sin and pursue, and instead of chasing after sin, we're supposed to chase after with other Christians, righteousness. We're supposed to chase after love. We're supposed to chase after peace. 
Those are all holy, godly things with those that are other Christians. The term, those who call upon the Lord, you know, from a pure heart, that just means somebody that loves Jesus, like you. Another Christian. Maybe they have a different belief than you, a slightly different belief about the Bible, or, or maybe they're, you know, they're, they're struggling in some sin, or, or maybe they just go to a different church than you. But Paul says here, hey, it's okay. Pursue righteousness, love, and peace with all those who call upon the name of the Lord, with every other Christian in the world. Get away from sin, but hey, pursue and chase after love with other brethren. Love with other Christians. Pretty clear. Um, doesn't, doesn't what Paul writes here sound a lot like what Jesus Christ said in John 13, 34? He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says it twice. Love, ladies and gentlemen, is not optional. God gave me the title just this morning. I've been writing the sermon all week long, and God gave me the title just this morning, and I had never seen it. But love is not optional. Jesus, love one another like I have loved you. As I have loved you, love one another you also. Here, Paul, here, right here in our section of scripture, Paul is pretty clear that this love we're supposed to show other Christians is by our actions and not by our words. Remember, love, according to the Bible, we talk about this all the time, is not just a word or it's not just some pretty words you tell somebody. It's your actions toward them. Think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, he did something. God's love, real love, is an action. It's a response. It's not just, oh, I love you, and then that's just some words. No, you show someone you love them by how you act toward them. John writes the same thing in 1 John 3.18. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, pretty easy to say we need to love other believers, right, with our actions, but it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because I'll be the first one to admit, and I include myself in all I'm about to say, people are hard to love. (laughs) And me too. Why? Well, we're obstinate. We're obstinate, right? We're we're, we're, we're thick-skinned. We have hard heads, which I wish, which in God's case makes soft behinds, because as we get hard heads, God disciplines us and gives us some soft behinds. Thanks be to God for that. But we're hard to love. We can be, you know... We could be very uh, obstinate about doing something we want to do that's not good for us to do. We can be rude a lot of times. We can act unkind toward one another. We can be unthankful. I, I know I catch myself on that one all the time. I, I'm very unthankful, uh, and I'll catch myself complaining about something that's not going right in my life instead of looking, all the, looking at all the blessings. And when you look from an outsider's stance, say your family or your friends, and you act like those ways around them, well, they're like, man, this guy, I wish he'd shut up. Why does he keep complaining all the time? God's so good. Stop complaining. Stop doing this. It's not good for you. Don't do that. But we're hard to love, and I include myself in that as well. But as Jesus commanded John in 1334, because it was a command, Christians, not an option, but Christians must love one another in deed and actions and not in words. And one of the what are one of those ways in which it's really to be really easy 
to be unloving toward other Christians? What's one of those really easy ways? Well, I know from experience, and you probably already do, it's really hard to be loving toward others when you have a dispute with them. Especially when you have a dispute with others over God's word, so other Christians over what God's word means. And I'm sure Paul knew this because look at what he writes in verse 23. He says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they bring or knowing that they generate strife. This is a problem, ladies and gentlemen. How we talk with one another uh, over what we believe and how we believe God's word or one little thing about God's word. It's not sell. I'm not talking about a salvation issue. I'm not talking about who is Jesus and all. Oh, he's not the Son of God. Oh, he, I believe he is the Son of God. Because if you don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're not even a Christian. I'm talking about little things in Scripture. Well, you know this and well, what was God saying here and what was God saying there? Well, I can tell you. For my 16 years of Christianity, because I was, I was born and raised, I was not a Christian, but then I became a Christian 16 years ago or so, and I could tell you that since I've been a Christian, there's been a lot of debates and a lot of disputes and a lot of foolish disputes that I've had with Christians, other Christians, upon things that God's Word means. And I was wrong sometimes, and I was right sometimes, but whether I was wrong, I still kind of fought for my way like I was, you know, really right. But this is a problem. This is a problem, and it's a big problem in our world today. It's such a big problem that church splits have happened, and and, and enemies have been made, and, and we're not supposed to be enemies of those that love Jesus like we do. And Paul even says it right here. It's a big no-no because nothing comes from it but sin and strife. Nothing comes from your, these types of disputes but sin and strife. Now, should Christians not get in disputes in our conversations that we have with one another? Well, I could tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's almost impossible not to do. We can't not have disputes when we talk. They're going to come up. I mean, in fact, you can't hardly even stop them. You can't even hardly try. They just, as you're talking to somebody, they say something and you say something and it's like, oh, right away you have a, a, a dispute, a disagreement with another Christian. It's really easy. And Paul didn't say that we shouldn't get in disputes in our conversations. He said that we should avoid or stay away from foolish or ignorant disputes. There's a difference between having a dispute with somebody and having a foolish and ignorant dispute with somebody. What is he saying? What is a foolish and ignorant dispute? Well, kind of like two weeks ago, verse 14, Paul Paul wrote, don't strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And remember, this is like, you know, when you're talking to somebody, he almost talked about the same thing here, and you start to argue, and the argument gets heated, and the argument gets really, uh, and you start to get angry, and don't ever run, and you both are just yelling back more than you're really angry with one another. Well, that's hurting those that are listening, and that's hurting you too, because usually you walk away angry, and Paul said, don't do that either, and it's kind of the same thing here. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, because they don't bring anything. They're, they're the same type of thing. When you start to have a debate or when you start to have a discussion and then you start to disagree and then before you know it, your disagreement rises into a, you know, it gets elevated and it gets elevated and it gets elevated and before you know it, oh, you're not even a Christian, oh, you're not even, oh, and you just leave them and, and it just gets ugly, right? Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because they just bring strife. Uh, like I said in that sermon a couple weeks ago, same thing I'll say here, there are such as good thing, there is such a thing as good and healthy disputes, but not when they become heated. It's time to leave them off. Stop. Agree to disagree. I wish more Christians would learn how to do this. 
Learn to disagree or agree to disagree. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because all they do is generate strife and sin. And and there's no love and, and hatred. There's no love and strife. And Jesus' command to us, love one another. How are you loving one another if you're getting into an angry dispute and foolish dispute with somebody that it's impossible you can't be? So how should real Christians handle disputes and disagreements as a whole with all people saved or not? He tells us in verse 24. Read it over. Paul says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle toward all, able to teach, and patient. What is he saying? Don't argue. Don't get heated. Don't get all frustrated. Be civil. Hey, talk to one another like you love them. Talk to one another like you would talk to somebody you love. Hey, people are going to disagree. Disagreements are going to happen. But just because we may disagree on an issue, just because we may have a dispute, doesn't mean that we need to argue over that dispute. We can talk about it and be civil, talking with others whether you agree with them in a respectful way, respectfully. Ladies and gentlemen, not angrily or angrily, but respectfully. Paul adds here, as as you're having a civil debate of a a dispute or disagreement, he says, be gentle and be patient. Well, think about that. If you're focusing on being gentle, if you're focusing on being patient, then you're not going to get angry. These are things that he wants us to focus on. Focus on these things while we're talking with one another. And remember, love one another. Love, right, is not optional. Love for Christians is not optional. And even when we can, teach God's word, right? As we're having these disputes, as we're having these disagreements, teach others. You know, teach them if you can, or let let them teach you. Be teachable. That's all part of being humble and, and, and being patient and being loving and being kind. Be ready to, hey, well, let me hear your side of the story. Let me hear your side of the conversation. Oh, you have a dispute? You disagree with me? Well, let me, let me listen to what you have to say because, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the one that needs to change my way of thinking or maybe we're both right. But definitely speaking with one another respectfully, not arguing, not getting into foolish debates that don't lead to anything but strife. Keep in mind, Christians, and I re- one of the things I really want you to take away from the sermon, I want you to keep in mind this. What Paul tells us to do here takes us praying for God's spirit of love in disputes and disagreements because it is a problem in our Christian church today. It's a big problem in our Christian church today. Many people leave churches. Like I said earlier, there's been church splits over just disagreements, disputes, and it's stupid Because if we were talking to one another with love and respect, then we wouldn't have this kind of stuff happen. So it really, we need to be praying for God's spirit of love in disputes and disagreements. Because all that Paul says here goes against, completely against, the natural way that we want to do things. When somebody disputes with us, or when somebody disagrees with us, what is the first thing we want to do? We want to prove our case and prove that we're right. No, here's why I'm wrong. You didn't. You just need to listen to me. And that's our, that's what we want to do first of all. And that's of course what we shouldn't do, because then that's not being loving, and that's not being patient, and that's not being kind. That's being bullheaded, and they're going to believe my way because they're going to believe my way, right? And that, that's how we are. 
So it's easy to get angry and frustrated when somebody disagrees with us. But that is what Paul's saying here. Don't get that way, Christians. Don't get that way. I want you to keep in mind that this is another thing we need to practice as we keep in mind what God tells us to do here through Paul as we're being patient, as we're being loving, as we're being kind. We need to practice this love principle with others. It really takes us thinking about James 1.19. James says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. That means, hey, shut your mouth when somebody's saying something. Whether they, you know, you disagree with them or not, shut your mouth and listen. Be quick or swift to hear. Hey, whoop, zip it and listen. And that old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk, right? So James, my beloved brother, and let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Slow to answer back. Especially when there's a disagreement, slow, don't be so quick to answer back and slow to get angry. That's important. Along with thinking about, we need to be thinking about Proverbs 29, 11. As you get involved with a dispute, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So not quickly acting like you want to act but slowly thinking in. So when someone says something, here's what we need to be practicing. In a disagreement or in a dispute, this is first thing we should be practicing. Slow down. Don't talk. Listen. And while you're listening to them, pray. Hey, God. Mentally, of course. You don't want to be disrespectful while they're talking and you disagree with them. You know, pray. Well, Lord, how should I respond to this person? How should I respond to this other Christian? I know that your word says that I need to love. So, Lord, how do I love? How do I love when they're disagreeing with me and I don't agree with what they're saying? Lord? Because it's hard as somebody's talking to you and they disagree with what you're saying or you disagree with what they're saying. It's hard not just to say the first hurtful, mean, or whatever thing that comes out of your mouth. Amen? It's hard not to just blurt out the first rude thing that comes out. Well, I don't believe that. You're stupid. That's ridiculous. Now, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. But that's not what, that's not what we're supposed to do. Paul's supposed to love. Remember, he starts out, verse 22, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart, right? Pursue these godly things with these people. And don't pursue these hurtful, mean things with people. Then after you calm down and you're prayed up, Answer like Jesus Christ would, in love always. And in this same sentence, but in the next two verses, Paul reminds us that Christians should even be loving, kind, and humble in and with their responses toward those who aren't saved, who dispute or contend or disagree with us over Scripture or over whatever. Look at the first part of verse 25. He says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So what does that mean? Example. So as you're listening and you disagree and you, and you hear something, let's say, unscriptural from a non-saved person now, because you'll see in the rest of the context of this section as I keep going on, this is concerning somebody that doesn't know God, or maybe they think they're, 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 they're saved, but they're not, or they, they're a false religion, or they're, or they're a, a apostate Christian religion, and you hear something, he says, hey, uh, <clears throat> verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Hey, when you hear them, Humbly saying, hey, 
you know, I, I heard what you said, and you know, I, I believe it's not quite right. And you know what? Here's why. Will you, will you hear me out, please? See, notice the humility. Notice the love, of course, and then as you answer them, you answer them with the Bible. You don't just give them your opinion. You answer them from the Bible and from Scripture. So telling someone them, telling someone something or showing some, someone something that's not a Christian humbly and, and lovingly that they're wrong, showing and telling them, that, you know, humbly and loving them, not, you're an idiot, what do you th- that's not right. Well, that's not a godly way to respond to somebody that's not a Christian. Humbly and lovingly showing them that they're not right and why they're not right, using the Holy Scriptures. A servant of the Lord, as we're going to say, or a Christian is supposed to respond to those who are unsaved like Christ did. And if you go to the Gospels where there's any unsaved to come to Jesus, and they ask him a question or come to him with a false religious belief, he answered them in love and kindness and correcting them. Look at one example, just for time's sake, and notice how Jesus never once here says, You idiot! What are you doing? That's not right! What the heck's wrong with you? You're on your way to hell, you dummy. Right? He never says that. Listen to how he responds to this guy. Mark 10, 17 through 24, it says, Now as Jesus, or he was, Jesus, he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher. That's that's a false statement because, you know, good. Right? What shall I do? that I may inherit eternal life. So he wanted to earn his eternal life. And he called Jesus a good teacher. Now, although Jesus was a good man because he was the only good one, Jesus, there's still nobody's good but him, right? So if this guy told anybody else this, he'd be wrong. So Jesus wanted to get his mindset on non-good. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? For no one is good but one that is God. And of course, he was God, so he was good. But he was kind of showing this guy, hey, no one's good. And this guy, and he also preluded off to this guy because this guy also thought he was good. And Jesus trying to say, my, hey, no one's good but God. Verse 19, he goes, you know the commandments. Notice he didn't blast him, though, right? He didn't blast him. He didn't come right off the bat and he wasn't mean. He wasn't angry. He just... Kind of correcting him, hey, you know, no one's good but God. And then the Bible says that no one's good but God, right? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but one that's God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And notice how he came to him with scripture. He didn't blast him. He didn't, wasn't rude to him. He came to him with scripture. Hey, my friend, that's not quite right. Hey, but. Hey, what about this? Did you ever look at the scripture? Let, let's go back to the scripture. Always talk about the scripture. And here you could say, this guy responds to verse 20 and he says, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Now, yeah, right. Now, you show me one person. This was a young, rich ruler, as we know through the Gospels. And although he was young, he wasn't young by eight or ten years old young. He would have been young maybe, you know, late teens, early 20s. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've never met a teenager that's honored their father and mother from the time that they were born. We, we talked about this in one of my sermons I did back when I was in Matthew. And, and in fact, as you become a teenager, your brain goes into like slip backwards absolutely mode. And the last thing you hardly ever do is honor your mother and your father. Yet this guy says, all these things 
I've kept from my youth. Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Well, Jesus said, even if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, that's committing adultery. So I'm sure being a teenager or a young 20-year-old, he had committed adultery mentally with some woman or multiple women or thousands of women in his life. So that one he broke. Do not murder if you ever hate anybody without a cause. I'm sure he broke that one. Do not steal every child. I can't have never hardly met a child that hasn't stole anything, right? And don't bear false witness. Don't, don't say anything that's not true. If somebody says, don't gossip. Well, yeah, right. But Jesus didn't say, you know what, man? You're wrong. You're an idiot, dude. There's no way. You've absolutely broken every single one of those, and you know it, and you're wrong. No, he didn't say that. Verse 21, even though he was wrong came to him with the scripture, verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, (laughs) go your way. Because he knew the biggest problem, the guy's biggest sin of all, the guy's sin that led him away from God, his biggest sin, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. So get get rid of your your over being consumed with wealth and come Take up your cross and follow me. That was how we really got saved. That's how anybody gets saved today. When we deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and decide to follow after Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get to that at the end of the sermon. And then it says, verse 22, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus didn't blast this unsaved guy. He looked at him with love. Handled it in scripture. He handled it exactly the way Paul said here that we should treat the non-saved, those that are not saved, in humility. Correcting those that are in opposition. Jesus Christ was amazing in his responses toward the unsaved. Um, And and I don't want you to get this mixed up with how he treated the the religious leaders either. Because you may be saying, well, Pastor Ed, I know Jesus responded to those unsaved people. And and they were the religious leader unsaved people. And he he blasted them. Well, yeah, that's a little different. When somebody is the leader of the religion that is supposed to be saying, hey, this is the Messiah. Hey, and we know it, but we just want the power. Or, you know, they knew all the law. They knew all, and they taught it, and they were complete hypocrites against it. Well, then, yes, this is not just somebody who's in opposition. These were people that were absolutely coming against Jesus, and they knew what was right. And in that case, and you've got to be prayed up cause to, find, you know, to know which one is which, because we even still have those people even today, the religious Pharisees and hypocrites of our day today. Then, then there may be a different response. But for just someone who's coming against you or come, someone that has you know, a religious opposite opinion than you do and they're not saved, then that is not the way to handle them. The way to handle them is in love and humility, as Paul said here, as Jesus Christ showed us, correcting them. Paul shows us why now, why love is not optional and how we respond toward the unsaved who dispute with us and why Jesus Christ responded to the unsaved the way he did. Look at the big why. Look at the rest of 25 and 26, finishing out of scripture. If God perhaps will grant them repentance... That's, of course, if they have a heart change. Okay, that's when God grants repentance. So that they may know the truth. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So why? Why did Jesus Christ respond to the lost the way he did? Why does Paul say here that Christians are supposed to respond to the lost in humility 
in love, correcting them. Why? What's the big why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, those that are not saved, as Paul just said there, and so this, is, this is a big eye-opener for me this week. It got me very sober for a while. And I'm still sober over it right now because they belong to the devil. Ooh, that's what Paul just said. They're being ta- taken captive by the devil. And not only are they his captive, Paul just said they're, they're doing his will. Don't we see that all over the world? Don't we see devilish things happening all over the world if we're Christians and all the evil that's going on all over the world? Well, absolutely. Well, why do we see it? Because the most the majority of people in the world are the captive of the devil and they're doing his will. Did you know that those that aren't saved are Satan's slaves? Ooh. And... Not only are they Satan's slaves, but they're servants of the devil. That brings a new light to those we know that aren't saved, why they act like they do. So many times I could have such bad feelings toward people that are not Christians and the way they treat me or the way they talk to me. But then this week I got this big awakening. Well, hey, what, Ed, they're only doing that because they belong to the devil, Ed. They belong to the devil. Me and my father were out just yesterday. We were taking a ride and we went to the gas station to get a drink. And what happened? Well, as we were leaving, we had the ride away and here comes this big old honking truck. And he almost catapults off this bumper that's in the, in the, in the, in the drive lane there of the, of the gas station we were at. You know, you could have swore it as fast as he was going, he could have flown. And he did it on purpose just so he could get out of the parking lot before us. And he cut us off. And he, he actually could have T-boned us if we'd have just kept going the way we were. And as I looked at him, he gave me, he gave me a, a not-so-nice sign with his hand. And everybody kind of knows what that means. And of course, initially, your initial response, your initial thoughts is, Oh, there do that. Well, hey, we got to think. <laughs> oh, he only, oh, wait, oh, man. He only did that because he's a captive of the devil. Ooh, wow, ouch. He's a captive of the devil. And you know what? When he was doing that, he was doing the devil's will. The devil controlled him, and he had him do that just to try to get at us and take our peace and joy. Anyway, that could be a whole sermon, but we just need to keep that in mind when we're responding to the losses. They belong to Satan, and they belong to Satan, and they serve him. And that means that they're also on their way to hell, Christians. They're not saved. They don't walk with Jesus. And when they die, unless God gets through to them or somebody tells them about Jesus more or keeps telling them about Jesus or you pray for them, they're going to go to hell and they're going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then I can stay to the end of my life forever because they'll never get out. We're burning and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the big why love is not optional and how we're responding to the lost is God doesn't want them to go to hell. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Just like Paul says here, Christians should respond to the unsaved with humility. And as Jesus Christ did in love and with the truth of God's word correcting them, 
hopefully, God's hoping that as you do this, God's like hoping that they'll hear his truths, have a change of heart. God will grant them repentance and they can get saved and escape being held captive by the devil now and being on their way to hell for all eternity. That's the big why God wants us to love and in love respond toward those that are in opposition, those that are unsaved when they come against us. That's why he wants us to respond the way he just told us to. Our examples today, and it's been really hard for me, but we have these, these false religious people out here today. We've got the Mormons. We've got the Jehovah's Witnesses. We've got the Seventh-day Adventists. We've got the Catholics, just to name a few. And you know what? All these people think that they're religious. They think that they're saved. But they all, ladies and gentlemen, real Christians out there, those that love Jesus and are, are born again and surrender to Christ, they all live anti-Bible in anti-Christ lives, and they all believe anti-Bible and anti-Christ things. So they, ladies and, um, ladies and gentlemen, are, 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 are captive of the devil. And they're, they're doing his will, but they think by works they've worked their way into the kingdom of heaven, but they're wrong. And they're deceived, and they're on the way to hell. And when I've debated them and talked to them before, it's been really easy for me to slam them and, 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 and not talk to them nice because, you know, after all, they, they think they know their Bible and my, my spiritual pride gets in there. But you know what? I've been wrong. And we need to love them too and give them the truth of God's Word too in humility correcting them. Not being rude, not being mean, not being angry, but loving them. It's easy to be unloving or unkind to them when talking to them. Yeah, Christians, as Paul wrote here, and Jesus Christ showed us, we need to respond to them in love and humility, correcting them with God's word and hopes, and God's hope that they come to their senses and repent of their false beliefs and they get freed from the bondage of the devil. Christians, there's nothing God cares more about on all the earth I just wrote a, a version of this on Facebook and posted it the other day after God gave it to me. And it was so good. God said, yeah, I gave it to you for the sermon. There's nothing God cares more about in all the earth or in all his creation than humankind and their souls. This is a biblical true statement. God loves people. And God loves you. And God loves your soul. And God knows where you, you, God loves You, whether you go to heaven or hell, but he doesn't want you to go to hell because you're eternally separated from forever. And and he longs above all else to have fellowship or intimate relationship with each and every human being alive. And he doesn't want anyone to be separated from him now while we're living with no relationship or for the rest of eternity if people are burning in hell. And because of this, Christians... Love is not optional in how we treat them. Because at all costs, God wants them to know His truths, which make men free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's God's truth. And He wants them to come to be saved and have a relationship with Him through the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And we Christians are the people that God has told to say, go out and tell them about me. Christians, love is not optional. When we are having conversations or disputes where disputes come up or between one another, Jesus Christ commanded us to love one another. 
And not just by our words either, but by our actions and our deeds. We certainly can't be loving in actions and deeds if we're answering each other in anger and wrath and being mean to one another when we disagree with one another over what God's word says or whatever. Love is not optional. And Jesus Christ has commanded all those who belong to him to love all people and to be loving towards all people. Do you follow Jesus Christ this way, Christian? If so, keep it up and don't stop. Because that's what God wants you to do. That's a true representation of Him, for He is love. He even loves those that are unthankful and those that are evil and those that aren't His. He loves them too, just like He loves you. But if you're not, and if you could say, oh, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I, man, I'm blown up. I've got me. Then you know what? And just stop right there and just repent. And tell God you're sorry and ask God to fill you with love. To fill you with the love for others. As I said earlier, people are hard to love and this includes each and every one of us. But Jesus Christ and Paul both say love is not optional. You say today, uh, Pastor Ed, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not born again, you know. I just want to point out to you, if you could sit there and you say, well, you know what, I'm not saved. I just want to point out to you the reason again that Paul said and Jesus Christ told Christians that they should love you. Because you, young man, old man, young lady, older lady, whichever, whoever you are, you, if you're not saved, are a captive of the devil. You're a captive of Satan. And you're doing as well. Whether you think you are or not, that's what the Bible says. And Show me where the Bible's wrong and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. But you are a captive of the devil and you're on your way to hell. But God doesn't want that for you, even though you're against him. He wants you to be his child and have a relationship with you daily and spend eternity with you forever. Remember God, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son. God loved you, loves you, and He gave Himself for you, and He's still reaching out to you this very day if you're not His. How do you become saved? How do you become born again today? Well, you believe Jesus Christ in His Word, and you take the first step He told people to take. Look what He says here in Matthew 16, 24, 25. I'm going to explain it. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone... Now, who's anyone? Well, that's anyone. If anyone desires to come after me. So, I, you know what? I, I want to be saved, Pastor Ray, but how do I do it? Well, here you go. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take yourself off the throne. Get yourself off the throne and put Jesus Christ there and give him that spot. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and decide to follow me. For listen, he encapsulates it all in the very first verse, or the very last verse. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want to be the Lord of your life now, and you want to be in charge of your life now, then you'll lose your eternal life. That's what he just said there. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever surrenders their life to me, loses the control of their earthly life for my sake. This is the deny self. 
will find it. If you lose yourself in Christ, surrender your wholeness to Him. Jesus, I need you. I don't save me. I want to be yours. I don't want to live this life anymore. Just, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want you to be my Lord. Save me. I surrender unto you. It's your way, not mine anymore. And you lose your life, the control you have of your life. Then you'll gain eternal life if it's for His sake. And that's how you take your first step. And then from there, God will fill you with love. He'll fill you with all these things. And then you just you're, it's your job just to get to know Him better and, and, and follow His Word and, and just have fellowship with Him and relationship with Him every day. So wherever you are, let's pray. And I know God wants to work on your heart. And I hope He already has. And I just pray you'd let Him. Whether you're lost or saved or whatever, I just pray you let God work on your heart today wherever you are because we all need help. Lord Jesus, Lord God in heaven, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for this sermon, Lord God. For love is not optional, Lord. Love is not optional, Lord. Love is not optional for us Christians. Lord, hatred is what fills the hearts of the people of the world. And Lord, hatred also fills lots of people's hearts that are Christians. But Lord, that's the trick of the devil, Lord. That's our human flesh, Lord. We're supposed to deny ourselves, as Jesus said. Deny that. Deny all that evil. And of course, that's what we do, Lord, as a whole. Help us to do that more. I pray, Lord God, for all of us that are serving you in this way, Lord, now. And we're loving one another, and Lord. We're treating others with kindness, and we're pursuing these righteousness and faith and love with those that are Christians, Lord, I pray we keep going. And I pray you'd help us to keep doing that, Lord. And let us not ever fall away from that, Lord, for that is your will, one of them. And Lord, for those Christians that have fallen away from that, Lord, that have been mean and and get into foolish debates and arguments and, and are unloving and they get heated and then they ruin relationships, Lord God, I pray that you'd bring them to repentance. Bring them to your truths, Lord God, because as we see, that's not your will today. And then we're acting after the flesh, Lord. We're pursuing the flesh. We're not walking in the Spirit, Lord. We're living in the lust of the flesh. And Paul opens up today, flee youthful lusts, Lord. Uh, anger and rage, that's all youthful lust stuff, Lord. Help us, help them to get away from that, Lord. And I pray for those that are out there that listen to this message all the way through that aren't yours, Lord. They could say they've never been saved. They're not born again. They, they don't even have a desire to do your will, Lord. I just pray for them, Lord, that they would deny self. That they would surrender self to you, Jesus. And hit their knees and cry out to you. And give you their hearts and wave their white flags of surrender. (laughs) And just give you their all. Just give you their hearts, Lord. Give you their minds and surrender unto you. Save them, Lord. So that they're they're not taken captive by the devil anymore. And they're set free. For the Son of Man came to set men free. Thank you so much, Lord. I pray all these things and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.